Leonard Ravenhill said, if you want a small church, preach holiness. You want a large church, teach happiness and prosperity. You get a packed church because everyone wants to be rich. Everyone wants to be happy, but no one wants to be holy. Or at least they don't want to have to go through the strict training to be holy. They don't want to have to go home and deal with themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't want to have to go home and get on their knees and cry out to God and say, Lord, please forgive me. And that's what he wants. He wants a clean, pure, holy, righteous bride. And that does not come to the faint-hearted. It comes to the strict, disciplined Christians that live the, the life that the early apostles lived, that lived according to the blueprint laid out in here. And so God says, give them the blueprint. Tell them the blueprint and, and encourage them to act on it. Encourage them to act on it. The job of a Christian is more important than the job of a heart surgeon. More important. Heart surgeons will bring someone back to life in this world, will keep them alive so they don't die from this world. Christians will keep them alive for eternity. So who has the more important job? Yeah, absolutely. The responsibility. Do you think being a heart surgeon is the responsibility great when you're going in the surgery? Yeah. You've got a whole bunch of family out there saying, don't you mess up, boy. You're going in there. Be very careful. You're playing with a heart. Well, we're playing with souls. We're playing with souls. And if once you get it, you know, this is why I, I minister, is because I got it. I, so, I said, okay, that's, that's what I have to do. And how am I going to do it? Well, maybe the thing that Jesus left us to be part of, the church. I have to do it through the church. And then the Lord said to me, well, you know what? You've got to get them saved, truly saved, in the sense of turned from sin. Because unless you repent, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That means filthy, rotten Christians that don't stop sinning and living unholy lives, they're not going to get into heaven. So he gave me this ministry. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So that's what church is about. Bringing men to repentance. And what is repentance? It means to stop doing the thing you were doing as a pagan and live in the complete opposite direction. You're doing 180s, 180s. You don't do that anymore. You're a Christian now. You don't do any of those things we used to do. We don't do them anymore. We're living holy lives now. We're living holy lives. That's the message of the gospel. That's the gospel message. That's what we're supposed to do as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do with this ministry of reconciliation that's been given us. And it's not just me that has to do it. It's every one of you, including the youth. Every one of us. That's true Christianity, folks. That is true Christianity. Corinthians 9:24. Very famous scripture, this one. But in light of what we've been going through in this survey, I want to, want to read it in light of that. 9:24 says, "Do you know, do you not know? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize." Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." I just want to take you back on a little bit, back to the start again. And it says, run in such a way as to get the prize. And then in verse 25 it says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Strict 
training. If you want to compete at an Olympic level, you've got to be very strict in a lot of areas. You've got to be strict in the training routines that you do. You've got to be strict in the food that you eat. You've got to be strict in your bedtime. You know, what time do you go to sleep? What time you wake up? What you do with every waking hour if you want to get to the elite level? Should Christianity be any different? Should Christianity, should we be approaching our Christian life any different? Should we be in strict training and living a life righteously and doing the right thing and living according to the scriptures and you know as Paul said I beat my body and I make it my slave should we not take take up the faith like that you know this is the problem with Christian Christianity today and I'll tell you and because I've been there and I'm in it you know I'm a Christian as well and I know it's because we don't take up our crosses because we don't beat our bodies and make them slaves. It's because we don't treat it like, you know, trying to get to an Olympic level. It's because we're not strict on ourselves and because of that we suffer many of the woes that Christians suffer. But the, the Paul is clear. Like I wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't in the Scriptures. So if you, if you don't like what I'm saying, take it up with Paul. I'm just reiterating what he said. And I know people don't like it when they're told, get strict about their faith. Get serious. People don't like to get told to get serious. People go, I'm serious enough. I'm going as fast as I want to go. Well, you're not going to make the Olympics, man, if you keep on treating it like that. If someone, you imagine if a guy came, just say I'm an Olympic level coach, and some, someone come up to me and says, I want to be an Olympic level swimmer, and... Let's pick something I know a bit more about. Well, I do know about swimming. You know, someone wants to be a, a swimmer. I say, okay, you, you willing to get up at 5 a.m.? No. Oh, you willing to train twice a day? No. Uh, are you willing to train every day of the week? No. Are you willing to spend two hours in the pool every time you get there? No. I was saying, mate, are you kidding yourself? Run along. Go off, it's just a dream, it's a pipe dream. It's no possible way that that person could ever become an Olympic athlete. Now, should we be any less dedicated, well, not than that boy, <laughs> but should we be dedicated like an Olympic athlete to the faith? And see, this is the problem, and this is what I'm always trying to lift. And you know what? I feel like I'm trying to lift it in my own strength. But God's telling me, lift the level of our expectation for our faith. Lift it in the people that you minister to. And once we start to lift, once we start to get to that point, God's going to say, okay, now you're ready. But God wants a shining church. Do you think I just made that up? He's coming for a bride, beautifully dressed. You know? Now, the, the thing, when, when he comes for that bride, the bride's not going to be in one specific place. The bride's going to be spread across the planet. There's going to be pockets of people who are ready for Jesus all over the planet. And when he comes, those people are going to come up to him. That's the blessed hope of his glorious coming. Who wants to be among that group that go up to him? Who wants to be lifted up? Make sure that you go into strict training. Make sure you put... A little bit more pressure on yourself to to live that strict Christian life and I'll, I'll tell you one other thing this is the the difference uh, that w in the mindset is people think they just naturally will walk that that road naturally without you know necessarily not feeling like doing they just think oh God will just make me feel like doing it every day God will just make me feel like doing it every day who knows, you might get two or three weeks where you feel like being a Christian. Two or three weeks where you pray. Two or three weeks where you read the Bible and it's really easy. And then what happens? Who knows? Can anyone say? Gets harder and harder and harder and before you know it, five minutes in the prayer room is tough. You know, who knows when we, inst uh, when we said, let's do this prayer partner ministry, who found an hour of prayer pretty easy then? Yeah? I just watch, I'm, I'm editing the sermon, which was two weeks after we initiated, and I'm editing it currently. I haven't finished it. It's, I'm, they're taking me a long, lot longer to do because they're an hour and 15 minutes each time. So I realize I'm putting you guys through your paces. 
But um, I'm saying, you know, how easy it is to pray for an hour and things like that. And I'm thinking, wow, that were the days. That was just a few months ago. And, and, and everyone was sort of amening. They were finding it easy. I remember talking to you and Sophie and you guys were just like, you know, on fire. Um, and, then, and then I was talking to people around the world and they're all praying. They're praying an hour a day, different people in the world. And then all of a sudden, something happened. We hit a wall, poof, like that. And it, people can't pray anymore. They're complaining of having hardships. There's things going wrong in their life and they're miserable. And, and uh, you know, I don't feel this anymore. And, you know, all this stuff's going on. We've all hit walls. Who hit it? Who hit the wall? Yeah. Every last one of us, I started getting the emails. Every last one of them. They were coming down sick, people overseas. This lady, Christiane, ended up in hospital, ill. You know, close, you know, I don't know how far along it was, but it was a pretty advanced case of sickness she got. And she said, ever since I've committed to praying for this prayer ministry, everything has come against me. And, and uh, I was getting this, just about every person overseas, same thing. Anyone here had a hard time lately? Just know this, you're not alone. Every one of us. Amen. Andy and Sharon, yeah, Anthony, Ben and Sophie, you, you same thing, yeah, Elizabeth, you've been having a hard time lately, uh, Stephen, you've been having a hard time lately, yeah, uh, Matthew, Lauren, you're cruising, <laughs> they, they just cruise, <laughs> yep, yep, you know, what I, this is what I, how I approach it, because I, I just basically, I just, do it without thinking. You know, um, I, I was talking to someone the other day and, and, and in, about in the prayer meeting and, uh, and I just said basically, I come in the prayer meeting, if I don't feel like praying, just say I come in and walk into the prayer meeting and I don't feel like praying, wouldn't it be weird if I just sat there and didn't pray? If I walked into the prayer meeting and that's it, I don't feel like praying, I'm not going to pray. So the pastor doesn't feel like it, so he doesn't do it. He's oppressed. He's feeling bad. He's, he's got things going wrong in his life. Stuff like Vina and I have gone through the ring of the last few weeks. But you know what? I walk into that prayer meeting and I say, you know what? I am going to pray, man. I don't care how I feel. I don't care if I feel depressed. I don't care if I feel oppressed. I don't care if, if everything's weighing down on me. I'm going to pray. Because I have to, because you guys expect it. Do you know how many times I don't feel like preaching? But I have to because you guys expect it. And I have to make it happen. I have to turn it on even when I don't want to turn it on. And I'm saying this for one thing and for one reason alone. If, if someone is competing in the, uh, wants to get to Olympic level and they don't feel like training, guess what they always do? They train anyway. You know, they go out, they, feel, they don't feel too well, they get up and they go on their run, they do whatever they have to do. They do it regardless of their feelings. Because if we let our feelings govern us, guess, guess what Satan can do to us? Guess what Satan can do? If, if our feelings are the things that govern us, and this is what I like about Matthew, Matthew, whether he feels good or not, will just do it. And he's always been that. He's been a rock ever since he came to Christ. He's been a rock in that. He just does his thing regardless. And uh, good or bad, rain or shine. Except when you're lying on your bed crook as a dog. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean? So, you know, this is how Satan wins the battle. He puts a whole bunch of negative things into your mind. A whole bunch of negative thoughts. And then he weighs you down with, with depressing things. Things that are going to... Uh, stimulate lack of prayer, lack of devotion to Bible study, lack of um, interest. That's what he takes away. And so my way of approaching it is, you know what? I'm going to, he's trying to say not to be interested, but I'm going to pick up a Christian book and I'm just going to read it. I'm going to start reading it. I'm going to force myself to read it. I'm going to force myself to open the Bible and do my two chapters and, or three or four chapters a day. I'm going to force myself to do it because I know that's what I'm meant to do. And that's what I'm supposed to do. And I don't let feelings govern my faith. I don't let feelings 
stop me from doing what I'm supposed to do. And then I go into the prayer room, and remember I said last week, if you can't pray, stay. So sometimes I can't pray, so I stay in the presence of God, and if I start looking at the watch, I say, okay, I am just going to stay there until the hand hits whatever, and I've done my hour of prayer. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He says, could you not pray for one hour? Not one hour you couldn't pray? The disciples fell asleep. So what is he saying? He says, guys, can you not pray for one hour? Give me one hour. And if you know you leave home at you know 7.30 or 8 o'clock, get up that hour before and get that prayer in and do it even if you have to sit there in dead silence and you can't think of a thing to pray, just focus on Jesus. And if, you, if every time your mind wanders, say, come on, come back. Don't beat yourself up over it, but just keep saying, Stay there, stay there. Discipline yourself. Do you know what I mean? Is that not what the faith's all about? Do you know what? I'm only giving you the secrets of the greatest men and women of God who've gone before us. That's all they did. That's the way they approached their Christian walk. And if you, if you can't take that from me, then unfortunately you'll end up struggling because it's not rosy all the time, is it? We go through tough periods. And it gets harder and harder and harder. And I don't know, well, I do know why, because I, I know nearly everyone has been feeling it tough going. And uh, also the people that I've been talking to online have also been finding it tough going. So all that tells me is this, if it's pretty much unanimous, it must mean that God wants me to deal with it and I have to broach the subject. So guys, we just got to raise up. Remember the, the char Christian character trait uh, I preached on called forceful. We've got to get forceful. You know, what happens when you're trying to dig out an old post and it doesn't want to come out? Hey? I get your Land Cruiser. Well, that's getting forceful, isn't it? Yeah, get in your Land Cruiser. What does Andy do? Give the job away? Or get someone else? <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, oh, I think I finished that. Okay, now, I'm going to try to move quite quickly. Is everyone ready? So, 1 Corinthians 12.3. 1 Corinthians 12.3, and it says, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So you cannot say Jesus is cursed, and if you are speaking, if you can say Jesus is Lord, if you can honour him as your as your Lord, as your God, as your Master, as your Christ, as your Messiah, then you're speaking by the Spirit and you know you have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, is that the end of the story in relation to this doctrine? No, it's the beginning. That's just the beginning. You can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So the moment you start saying Jesus is Lord, I start worrying when people stop saying that. And I've met Christians that have been Christians for quite a long time, very passionate. They became ministers. They became um, powerful at the time in, in, in their ability to, to deliver messages. And now they cannot say Jesus is Lord any longer. They could back then with so much conviction. It, it had more conviction than anyone else in the church. And now they don't say it. So that to me is evidenced. That if he once could say it and believed it and he preached it and he lived it and he loved it and he thought it was everything and now he doesn't say it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2 Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved and then there's that word that we spoke about last week, if... By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. So you're saved if you, if you hold firmly to the word. You're saved if you hold firmly. You're not saved if you don't hold firmly. So don't think that you're just into heaven. No matter what you do, whether you hold firmly to the word of God or not, don't think you're going to heaven. 
Because if you walk away from God and you're not holding firmly to the word and word and you're living in the world and you're living for the world, you're doing everything in the world and you just and, and you pretty well deny just about every doctrine of the faith except maybe think this little thing in the back of your mind, oh if I die I'm going to heaven. It's not gonna happen. Because you've got to hold firmly to the word. One Corinthians fifteen thirty one. 31 to 34, and it says, I die every day. Who can say that here? I die every day. Do you know where I, find, I would say that Paul died? In the prayer closet. He'd walk into that prayer closet, and guess what? He would have been just like everybody else. There would have been a million things he would have possibly thought of doing ahead of going into prayer. He would have thought of all the places he has to travel that day, all the work he probably, the tent making he had to do, people he had to visit, etc., etc., etc. And he would have to die to every one of those things to walk into that prayer closet and say, Lord, you have me for the next hour. And he says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? But let us, for it says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And then he says this, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So he's telling the Corinthians, come back to your senses and stop sinning. So let's keep moving. Go to 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 13. Just one book forward now. This is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to the worldly wisdom but according to God's grace. So he's testifying that it's by God's grace that he lived holy and sincerely before the people of Corinth. So by God's grace, you're given grace so that you can live holy lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, just if we can flick over to there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Who feels new here? Who feels like a new creation? Yeah. Sometimes I pray to God, Lord, am I a new creation? Because sometimes I feel old. I don't feel filled with light. I don't feel that. You know what I mean? But he says, the old has gone and new has come. I believe, and this is sincerely, I believe that there's a lot of Christians in the world that are not new creatures. That are not new creatures. They're walking around with a test of testimony on their lips but their hearts haven't been changed and and there's some scriptures coming up which is and it's going to say right at the end of the corinthians and i want to read it but i won't tell you now but it or i will tell you it says test yourself in this test yourselves these words are for you to go home and not to hate me not to go home and hate me because i brought it up not to go home and despise god's word because we can't live up to this but to go home and say, Lord, if I try to live up to this in my own strength, I cannot. I cannot. I'm lacking something, Lord. I'm lacking the Spirit of God because everything I do is not what I should do. I need the Spirit of God. I need the grace of God in my life so that I can live the way I'm supposed to live. And if I don't have it, I'm going to be feeling miserable all the time. I'm going to be living the life that I, a life that I shouldn't live all the time. And so you've got to go home and you've got to make peace with God in the sense of you've got to get God in you and living through you. You've got to become that new creature. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll pray that God will fill you, but don't hate me because I preach this. Be thankful that God has got someone who's got the guts to do it. And people, that's why people flee, because Rob preaches holiness. And Leonard Ravenhill said, if you want a small church, preach holiness. You want a large church, teach happiness and prosperity. You get a packed church, because everyone wants to be rich. Everyone wants to be happy, but no one wants to be holy. 
Or at least they don't want to have to go through the strict training to be holy. They don't want to have to go home and deal with themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't want to have to go home and get on their knees and cry out to God and say, Lord, please forgive me. They don't want their life to feel like they're already in hell crying out to God for forgiveness. Is that a graphic enough picture? Because you know what? Until you repent, until God deals with you, you're going to feel like you're there. But thank God you're not. Thank God you're not. Thank God you're in a pleasant world, in a sense, compared. But God wants you to change, and he's going to put you through all sorts of pain and suffering and torment until you do. Or you'll flee the church. And I see him flee. You know? And some people who are quite honest with me will tell me that. And I like people who are honest with me and tell me straight because I realize what the situation is. Say, you know what? I didn't want to come today. Everything was in me telling me don't come. And I'll confess too. Do you know Satan plays that trick on me? Sometimes I wake up in the morning. It's probably one out of every four to five church services. One, one, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll be in the shower, and I'll be going, I just feel like texting everyone saying, let's leave it. Because I know God's put a sermon like this one on my heart, and I have to come and preach it. And I'm going, God, do I, I have to come and preach this again? And God says, my people aren't ready. My people aren't getting transformed. So I come and I preach it. And it's convicting, isn't it? It's stirring. But do you think that's because God wants something? Do you think God wants something and he's chosen you guys to be the people he's going to work through? And that's what he wants. He wants a clean, pure, holy, righteous bride. And that does not come to the faint-hearted. It comes to the strict, disciplined Christians that live the, the life that the early apostles lived, that lived according to the blueprint laid out in here. And so God says, give them the blueprint. Tell them the blueprint and, and encourage them to act on it. Encourage them to act on it. Does that make sense? Let's have a, a go from uh, 5 verse 18. It said, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the word to him, world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. How's that? He won't count your sins against him, provided you repent. Provided you repent of all your sin. And repentance doesn't mean just say sorry. It means turn from. Turn from doing them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So he's actually given us a ministry where to reconcile people to God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as those God was making his appeal through us. Do you know you have the most important job in the universe? You have the, the most important job. Did you know that? Anthony, what do you do for a job? Architectural designer. Stephen's an engineer. Andy was a plumber. Ben? Construction. Matthew? Royal priest. Very good. Very good. All right. We have a priest in the room. No, that's great. Now, that's exactly what we're all supposed to be. Everyone's a priest. All right, I won't ask everybody here, but everyone has a job, right? Everyone has a job. But what's, what's the most important job that you have that in comparison to this far outweighs anything of importance. Leonard Ravenhill said Leonard Ravenhill said that um, the job of a Christian is more important than the job of a heart surgeon. More important. Heart surgeons uh, will bring someone back to life in this world, will keep them alive so they don't die from this world. Christians will keep them alive for eternity. So who has the more important job? Yeah, absolutely, the responsibility. Do you think being a heart surgeon is the responsibility great when you're going in the surgery? Yeah? 
You've got a whole bunch of family out there saying, don't you mess up, boy. You're going in there. Be very careful. You're playing with a heart. Well, we're playing with souls. We're playing with souls. And if once you get it, you know, this is why I, I minister, is because I got it. I, so, I said, okay, that's, that's what I have to do. And how am I going to do it? Well, maybe the thing that Jesus left us to be part of, the church. I have to do it through the church. And then the Lord said to me, well, you know what? You've got to get them saved, truly saved, in the sense of turned from sin. Because unless you repent, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That means filthy, rotten Christians that don't stop sinning and living unholy lives, they're not going to get into heaven. So he gave me this ministry. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The apostles were sent out to teach repentance, to bring them to repentance. So that's what church is about, bringing men to repentance. And what is repentance? It means to stop doing the thing you were doing as a pagan and live in the complete opposite direction. You're doing 180s, 180s. You don't do that anymore. You're a Christian now. You don't do any of those things we used to do. We don't do them anymore. We're living holy lives now. We're living holy lives. That's the message of the gospel. That's the gospel message. That's what we're supposed to do as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do with this ministry of reconciliation that's been given us. And it's not just me that has to do it. It's every one of you, including the youth. Every one of us. That's true Christianity, folks. That is true Christianity. And we're not meant to preach prosperity. We're not meant to tell people how good they are. We're not meant to tell people how much wealth they can get if they tithe into the kingdom. We're not meant to preach, hey, come up here and get healed. And it, what I mean by that is this. There's ministers around that they call themselves healing ministers. That's all they do. They just minister healing. That's, they go around and minister healing. right? Jesus wasn't that. That wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And guess what came out of him? Healing power. And so healing was not the thing he went to do. The thing he went to do was preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near because he knew that's more important. Get them saved. Get them saved. You know, we, we were at a, a funeral on uh, Thursday. On Thursday. And I was one of the... Uh, ministers to preach a, a, a eulogy, or no, not preach, I, I did a speech, a eulogy. And uh, one of the things I, I said was when you, when you go to a Christian funeral, it's not like a pagan funeral because the person that we're burying is not dead. She's alive, and this woman, Jo, is definitely alive. She, was, she believed exactly what we teach here, and she was full on for the faith. She her last breath was Jesus Christ. And she lived for, and so the, it's, it's a different feeling at these funerals. There's tears, but it's more like a departure. We'll see you when you get, we get there. It's going to be a long time, but we're going to miss you. It's that, you know when you've ever seen someone off at the airport that you really love and you know you're not going to see them for a few years and you get some tears? Who's had that? Who's been to the airport and cried a bit? Yep. That's what it's like with a Christian funeral. But you go to a, a pagan funeral, and no, they don't know God. And you hear them talking about their past life and it's all the sinful things they used to do. Like you always, I remember going to one and this woman was a bit of a drinker and all, everyone that got up there just talked about how much champagne she could get through in a night. No hope of salvation. And I was, you're just listening to it going, this is so empty. According to scripture, if she hasn't had a deathbed conversion, that woman is never going to see the light of day again. She is in hell forever and ever and ever. And they're, they're depressing. They're the most depressing funerals you can go to. But a Christian funeral. See, our hope, that's the blessed hope. That's our wonderful hope. So don't let anyone strip you of your Christian faith. Let's, have I finished that scripture? So we implore you on Christ's behalf. This is back at, we'll go back to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What are we to become? The righteousness of God. And now I've, had, I've heard ministers say, you're unrighteous, but now you're righteous because of God and his, because of what he did for you. You don't have to do anything, you just take that. So when you die, you plead his righteousness for you, right? That's not scriptural. What I mean by that is, is what it does is it makes him go, oh, really? So I can't lose this salvation now. No, you can't. You cannot lose it because you are the righteousness of God. It's imputed to you. That, yeah, the righteousness of God is imputed to you to live in it. He, you're imputed with righteousness and now that you've repented and you're Christian, that righteousness outworks in you. That's the process. It's not you can keep on living a wretched life and that righteousness is yours. No, evidence that you are or have been cleaned and that you have been washed in the blood of Jesus and that the righteousness of God is in you is it works out through you and you walk in it. And therefore, you're the righteousness of God at every, every walking moment. And the Spirit of God enables you to walk in that righteousness. And I want to get to the end of Corinthians, which is 2 Corinthians, which is coming up. 2 Corinthians 6.14. And he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And yoked means connected, becoming one with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will live, in, live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Come out from them, be separate. From those things, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. That means no sinful thing. Touch no unclean thing and I'll, I will receive you. Touch no unclean thing and I'll receive you. But if you're touching unclean things, got to be careful. That's the wild thing about it. He says, touch no unclean thing and I'll receive you. So be careful that you're, if you're touching unclean things, be careful. And I will be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Keep on going, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. And what are we to do? Perfect holiness out of reverence for God. If you're reverent for God, or if you want to be reverent for God, perfect holiness Perfect it. Learn how to be holy. Ask the Spirit to guide you in this. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 10. And it says, Yet now I am happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. He's talking to Christians here. Your sorrow led you to repentance. And he was talking about a situation in the church. And I won't mention what the situation was, but you all know it. Um, he was talking about that situation and it led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. He intends us sometimes to be sorrowful. Not so that we can go, this Christian faith is a terrible faith. I'm always depressed. I'm always feeling bad. It's so that we get right with God. He wants you to be right with him. And like I always say, give God the benefit of the doubt. He's right and we're wrong. <laughs> Who are we to argue with him? And then he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings repentance, and that's what he wants. So if you're feeling sorrowful, maybe God's allowing you to go through something until you humble yourself and repent and fall on your knees before him. Maybe, not always. Maybe. 
Sometimes it's the attack of the evil one, but sometimes God, well, God allows these attacks. What did he say to Peter? Satan's asked that, I, that if he can, oh, not to, he says he's, he's begged permission to sift you like wheat. Sift you. So Satan came to God or came to Jesus and said, I want to sift this guy. And Jesus says, okay. He's just recanted of, or um, repented of knowing me three times. I'll allow him to be sifted. So sometimes it happens. Now, do we hold it against God or do we thank him for his discipline? He wants us to thank him. He wants us to find him in the midst of our trials and tribulations. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 For though we live in the world, we do not wage, world, uh, wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish... No, there's something else. I missed something. Hold on. I'm sure it was around there. It says weapons of righteousness in our right hands and in our left hand. And weapons of righteousness. And it's the way to fight this war. The way that we wage war is with weapons of righteousness in our right or our left. And maybe it's in the upcoming scripture. Just let me see. No. But anyway, in that scripture, with weapons of righteousness, who knows it? Weapons of righteousness in our right and in our left, in our hands. So what's that saying? We wage war against the works of evil and against what's coming against the church with righteousness. With righteousness. That's how we wage the war. Amen? And... We'll go back to this. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, this is, this is the key. This is the key to overcoming depression. This is the key to overcoming the worst times in life where Satan is whispering continuously in your ear. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Say, and is what I'm saying, could this be written down as scripture? If what I'm thinking, could this be in here? And not in the book of Ecclesiastes either, because it could be in there. But it could be, uh, well, usually you'll find it couldn't be scripture. If the things you're thinking, if they don't, if they don't encourage you to live a good life, you've got to take that thought captive. What's that mean? Handcuff it. Throw it in a cell, say, get out of here. I'm not going to have you in my life. And the Bible tells us that we've got to do that. By the power of the Spirit, we've got to do that. We've got to take captive our thoughts. Don't let yourself think things that are going to run you into the ground every day. Take captive the thoughts and be strict and disciplined about it. And think like that. Think all the time. I'm really feeling really rotten today. I'm going to take captive every single thought that's going on in my mind and I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's out of here. I won't entertain it. And you've got to get that sort of discipline on your life. And you know what? We have the power to do it. You know, some days I get up and I, I just decide I'm not going to allow myself to think things that are going to run me into the ground and just depress me and corrupt me and make me hate this day and hate this faith and hate everything. Do you know what I'm saying? So take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's really important. I've got just a few more. 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3. says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, Paul faced it. When Paul listed off all his things that he went through, all his trials and tribulations, at the end of it he said, and I have the constant concern for the church. 
constantly concerned for the church. Why? Because he's seeing them not walking as they should. He's having to list off sins to say, stop getting yourselves involved in this. He's seen the church falling in that godliness, that standard, that joy that comes from God. He's seeing that slip. And he's saying, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, he's concerned that you're somehow going to slip the same way. And we don't want to slip that way, do we? We don't want to slip that way. We want, we want to uh, be above that. And that's why we've got to take these thoughts captive because those thoughts can just destroy your faith. You know, who, who's had periods, and I know Andy and Sharon haven't, but who's had long periods of not going to church? Yeah, had periods, had long periods, years. And we don't want to let it happen again because we don't want God to test us in some things and allow us to go through some things and we fail the tests and we end up abandoning this church and going our own way for a few more years and forgetting all this teaching and forgetting what God's called us to. Because you know what? When you come back in three, four, five years' time, guess what? It's going to be even tougher to take up this kind of code, to take up the Christian faith, because the faith hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. What's changed is the way it's preached, but it's been this way for 2,000 years. You know, when you, when you read about Paul and Peter and you hear, you, you, you hear people discourse on them, they are the most holy, holy men you can imagine. Does that mean that just because they were holy, none, no one else has to be? But that's the call, is to live like they lived. Actually, we're supposed to live like Jesus lived. You know, I'm, I'm way off the mark. Christ was holy, holy, holy. He's God. And he, said, he left himself an example. He was the example. And that's how we've got to be. You know, when people walk away from meeting you, they've got to say, gee, you know what? I know that guy's a Christian or that girl's a Christian, but there's something about them that just really rubbed off on me. There's such a sincerity. Because Jesus had that impact on people. Anywhere he went, he had that impact. He had that impact, a way of imparting something to them, which is beyond words. And we want to have that same impact with people. Amen? So that we can be ambassadors. So that we can minister reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 12.21 it says, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. And that was what Paul was confronted with in Corinth, is this level of sin. He was confronted with all sorts of things, you know, uh, in all the different churches, drug taking and um, idol worship in the sense of, you know, or just, just living licentious lives in every way, you know, just living apart from God. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, and it says, Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. That's the job of the saint. We are to examine ourselves and see whether you are in the faith. See whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you've failed the test? You don't hear that preached from many pulpits, do you? Where's that scripture? It's been there all along, hasn't it? But it's there. The, the most important scriptures in the Bible. Why is he saying examine yourself? He's saying examine yourself, get it all right now, get it all in order now because one day you're going to get examined by me and I don't want to have to throw you away because you didn't examine yourself. You know, if you've got a big exam coming up, do you do some practice exams before it? Yeah? You've got a big exam coming up, you, get, you, you go to the teacher, how many practice exams have you got for this exam? Give me them all if you really want to do well. Oh, I've got 20 out the back. Well, I'll have them all, I'll photocopy them and I'll get them back to you. 
You want as many practicing tests to pass a test as you can get your hands on. Now, when you're going, we're going to stand before the God of the universe. He's going to judge every last one of us, and he's going to uh, see, you know, count our deeds and count the things that we've done, and he's going to f- test us to see if we will get eternal life. And I can't say, and this is as, as much as I can't say anyone is condemned for eternity, I can't say anyone's saved for eternity either. I've just got enough trouble with myself. This is what I'm trying to deal with. All right? I'm, God say, preach this. I'm saying, but Lord, it's hard to keep preaching this stuff. The Lord's saying, preach this. I'm going, but shouldn't I teach a nice character trait one or something? You know, I'm waiting on God or something like that. No, preach this. Because my people have to get holy because I'm coming soon. And it says, examine yourselves. That's your job. I can't examine you. I'm not supposed to. You've got to examine you. I, don't, I, I preach just what God's saying to me, but you have to examine yourselves. Every one of you have got to go home and search deep, dig deep. What is going on in here? Do I know you, Lord? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I thinking the right way? Do I test my thoughts? Do I make them captive to Christ? Am I living as a minister of reconciliation? And, and this is the thing. You might think, wow, there's a lot of things. That's a lot of things. But you know what? The little bit of devotion, it's not a lot of things. It gets pretty easy to understand what, what, what we're called to. And once you're living it, it's easy to continue living it. Once you've aligned all the things together, it's easy to continue in that way. Then you've just got to keep yourself on the path and don't let yourself get corrupted. Don't let yourself get tempted off the path. Stay the course. Amen? If you commit to an hour a day of prayer, stick to it. Even if you can't pray, stay. Just stay there. Do the hour. You know, Commit to it. Be that Christian that you know you want to be and you know Jesus wants you to be. So it says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And if you feel you've failed the test, before you say, okay, well, that's it. I'm not a Christian. No, it's, you don't fail the test. You might have failed that practice test. But who knows? You could do 20 practice tests. You keep doing them until you start getting 100%. I've got, I've got students who do um, theory exams through our music school, music theory exams. And uh, one thing I'm, I, I pride myself on in, in the music school is when they go and sit an exam, usually they get 98 to 100%. And I, I'm not happy unless they do. And the way I do that is I say, you're going to keep doing practice tests until you're getting 100% every time. Then I submit you. Because <laughs> I want a clean record of students getting above 96 to 98%. And so we do practice tests, and I've got heaps of past papers, and they do one past paper per week, and they keep doing it week in, week out, week in, week out, until they're just nailing it. And then I say, save three for the last week before the exam, and then do those three in that week. I'll correct them all, then you set the exam. And they always get, always get top marks for their theory. Have you ever done a theory exam, Matthew? Did you get a top? You got 98%? Do you remember me doing that to you? Yep, you remember that? Yeah, so that's why we test ourselves now. We test ourselves. If we're failing the test, it's, it's, it's grace to us. So the Holy Spirit can say, okay, you've got to deal with this. And get a pen and paper out. What do I have to deal with about myself? What things do I have to deal with here? And, you know, I, I don't show enough love to people. I'm, I can be a bit sharp or, you know what I mean? Just a range of things that you feel you're, you're lacking in and then say, God, help me with these things. And then you pretty much go out there and you do the exact opposite to what you're naturally inclined to do. You know, this, sometimes I drive up to church, uh, well, not church, sometimes I, I go out to teach and I'm, some of the kids, some of the students that I've got coming, they're not all pleasant. Right? Some of them I'm like, oh, this is that afternoon again. You know what I mean? There's a string of just students that you're just like, oh, man. I have to sit with each of them for half an hour. So what I, I just say to myself, no, Rob, 
That's not the right attitude. You're going to go out there and you're, you know what I'm talking about, Tessa, now, don't you? Vina does, of course. She's a school teacher. There's certain kids that you try to love. We love them, yeah. You say you love them, but you don't like them, you just love them. <laughs> but these, these kids, and I, I just go, no, I can't, be, I can't be like that, I can't be sharp. So I start every, every lesson, I start with a big smile, how are you going, how's things? And they sit down and I, I ask them a few questions and, and get them talking a little bit. And every week I do the same thing. And I, what I've noticed over the years with those kids that were like unlikable kids, over the years they sort of get you after a while and they start changing. Not all of them, sometimes they don't, but a lot of them start changing. And now I sit down with some and we can have a nice little chat. I don't do it for very long because I've got to teach them how to play piano. But we have a little bit of a chat and there's a relationship that's formed and it's come out of my continually doing opposite to what I feel like doing. You know, I understand why nuns used to teach with a ruler in their hand, the piano, you know. What was that note? <laughs> you know, you feel like doing that, but you don't do it. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things you just realise that that's maybe a weakness in my flesh that I've got to overcome. And who knows as Christians how much more? How much more have we got to make an effort? How much more should everyone know you in your workplace as the most loving person in the workplace, as the most... Comfort, you know, comfortable person to be around that's, who's always trying to do their best to um, make everyone feel comfortable and relaxed and the sort of person you can talk to and nev he never gets offended and, or never shows it at least. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's what you want to be and if it's not you, write it on a piece of paper and start dealing with it. Start making concerted efforts to change those things because it comes, the Bible keeps telling us that it, it's our responsibility it's not our responsibility to obey the whole of the law. It's our responsibility to see that the Spirit works in us at a level that causes us to, the, to uphold the law in our life, that we become the righteousness of God. Is that you getting this today? So examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And if you fail the test, that doesn't mean you're condemned. It just means that... You do another test a week later and you do another test a week later until you pass the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will, do, that you will not do anything wrong. How's that? We pray that you won't do anything wrong. I like that. It's like a mum saying to the child, now you're not going to do anything wrong, are you? And the child, no, mama. <laughs> okay. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that we will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. Even, guys, even if you feel you've failed, do right anyway. Do good anyway. Just say you feel in certain relationships that you've failed to be the person you're meant to be. Well, from now on, be that person with that person and do it anyway. Reach out and do whatever you have to do when you see them. Hi, how are you? And they'll be thinking, wow, I didn't expect that out of you. You know, there's been people that in my past and, and, and certain people where we've had a bit of a uh, you know, disagreement or whatever. And I felt, you know, ever since then I feel like, you know, oh, maybe on bad terms. And then I see that person, maybe bump into them and they, hey, Rob, how you going? And immediately, whatever they've done to me, I've forgiven them completely. I'm like, you know, they're not so bad. You know, it's not what I thought about you a few months ago, but, <laughs> you know, how much you can, you know, how, love covers over a multitude of sins. That's all it is. You know, you don't have to hug them and kiss them to show you love them. You just, hey, how you going? Great to see you. What have you been up to? And, and it just really does make a difference. People can really feel uh, like, oh, gee. And you know what? Most people walk away going, gee, that's a weight off me. That's one less person I have to worry about because he's on good terms with me now. You know? But we've got to be the person that comes and puts them at ease. Amen? So it says, not that all people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right even though we may seem to have failed. Verse 8, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. 
nothing against the truth but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong and our prayer is for your perfection. This is an interesting word. Our prayer is for your perfection. This is where perfectionism, have you heard me talk about perfectionism? Um, this is where the doctrine of perfectionism is. You're not saved unless you're perfect. Is that a Christian doctrine? No. All right, because I don't think a single Christian would get into heaven if it's about perfection. Okay, Jesus Christ was perfection. But everyone has sinned. No one, everyone, all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So perfectionism uh, fails. And it's also taking out, uh, it, it forgets the fact that when you're a young child, you have to grow and learn how to improve in things and how to be holy. So a new Christian has to learn how to get holy. You know what I mean? You don't just suddenly do live the Christian life perfectly. It takes time. It takes months. It takes years to, to live it out, to live it out until you start to live it right. So perfectionism, and it comes from the word, and this is so you can understand it, uh, katatizo. I'm looking at Bill when I say that. And it means to adjust, to be good working order. Um, it might be thought of more nearly as a process by which one comes to a state of preparedness to pass a test. So when it says perfection, it means it's, it's a state of transition where you, you go from glory to glory in a sense and you to, so that enables you to pass a test. You know, I think I used the term, there's, when I teach piano, sorry if I'm going on a bit, when I teach piano and I try to get a, a student to finish a piece of music, and I'll tick it and say, that's perfect. And they'll go, perfect? I'll say, in the sense of where you can get it to at this time, it's got all the timing right, it's got all the you know, elements right. But if you've got someone, you know, um, a high-level pianist to come and play it, they'd play it better than you. But for where you're at, it's perfect. So for where we are, we've got to be perfect to where we can be perfect in the sense of as best we can be so we strive for perfection no no one who practices the piano strives to not be perfect they're all striving to play it well Stephen plays guitar and you know you strive to be really really good but you could never say you're perfect but you strive for perfection don't you and that's how we got to walk out our Christian life so I'll just quickly finish for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. So verse 9, we are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. And this is why I write these things when I am absent. That when I come, I might, not, I, I might not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority Lord, uh, the Lord gave me for building you up and not for tearing you down. So finally, verse 11, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Aim for it. Aim to be perfect Christians. Aim for perfection. Uh, listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Amen. It's a good point to stop. It's just about where Paul stopped the letter. Okay, so we've got to aim for perfection. Everyone see this today? I sort of try to keep encapsulating it in different ways and so that we can just sort of um, hopefully get adjusted. And that's what the church service for every Sunday, just to adjust us, keep adjusting us. You know, when they send off a, um, a missile through the air, they reckon the missile pretty much most of the time is never on target. Is that an engineering truth, is it? I don't know. You're not a rocket scientist? Okay. <laughs> Neither am I. I'm not a rocket scientist. <laughs> But it's not rocket science. You know, they say it's not rocket science. How hard is rocket science anyway? I want to study it. So when people say it's not rocket science, well, actually it is. <laughs> it's not that hard. Um, but rocket science, uh, rocket science, when a rocket is shooting through the sky, it's pretty much most of the time off course. But there's these little things on the side. Sorry? Uh, there's these little things like little tiny rockets that fire away and they keep changing the direction like push, push. And the, the rocket gets changed direction, but then it, it sort of starts to fly offline again. And then another little rocket fires off, and it gets directed again. And then, and, and it's all the way, it's going for its target, it's got to blow something up way over there. And it just keeps on getting changed in direction. And eventually, if with these little things going all the way, eventually it lands right on the target. Right? 
But if they just sent it off and they didn't have these little things to direct the course, that rocket would fly off somewhere where it shouldn't. And you can hear me. I'm just saying little rockets, big rockets. You know. <laughs> yeah, and that's the Christian life. Amen. Every Sunday, it's just like a ch ch ch, keeping on ch 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 ch, -ch. and eventually there's heaven over there, and, ch -ch -ch -ch, and we land right in there. Yes, we just got to keep adjusting our course, adjusting our course. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's, <laughs> it's, it's simple. No, it, that's right. It's a marathon. We got to take it out. Yeah, got to take it out, and we got to finish the race. We got to run it. Amen. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this time down. Thank you for the privilege and the honor of being able to minister to these wonderful people. I pray that something I said really helped someone here today, Lord. And I pray that your spirit will work in us and help us to start to examine ourselves and uh, test and to see that we're in the faith and that we're filled with the spirit, that we uh, make every thought captive and uh, may all the things that we talk about in this sermon just be applicable to us and that we start to use it and we start to uh, um, just keep adjusting ourselves every single day by uh, the direction of the Spirit so that we can live a Christian life the way we're meant to live. And uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, um, everyone here will really embrace the teaching today and, and run with it, Lord. Um, so please watch over us and direct us and Holy Spirit just keep us on this uh, for the rest of this day and this week. Let us not let it not slip out of our memory but let us act on the things that we've heard today. And I pray this in your wonderful name. May you be with us and bless everyone um, and uh, keep us strong in the faith all week long and bring us back together next week. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs>